Welcome to Conversations About a Brighter Way. I am Robin, a volunteer at A Brighter Way. And in fact, this is the first conversation that we will be having, and we are going to be talking to Adam Grant, the Executive Director at A Brighter Way. So Adam, tell us a little bit about A Brighter Way. Well, whenever I tell this story, I kind of feel like it's an origin story for a Marvel superhero or something like that, because it's it starts out with... It was a conversation between three friends who'd been formerly incarcerated. They were released to Washtenaw County and they realized how few services were available. So the three of them started brainstorming ways to do a better job with reentry and hence to make a brighter way for those coming out of the darkness of incarceration. A Brighter Way today in 2022 is an organization that's growing. The main thing that we do is mentoring. We believe in reentry through relationship and our mentoring relationship stands at the center of it. We're le- we like to believe that we're community building. So people who are returning from prison need a place to be able to feel part of something, comfortable, and to be productive in their communities. And so our mentoring model is one where we don't do things for people, we do things with people. So we believe in a side-by-side model. So how do people get in touch with us? There's a number of ways. I mean, you can look us up on abrighterway.org, our website. Uh, Like many nonprofits, our website is kind of lacking, but somebody once told me that if you have a really good website, people wonder how much good work you do because you're spending too much time (laughs) on these other things. There are multiple places that you can email, but I always suggest that people just send emails to either volunteering at abrighterway.org or at director at abrighterway.org because that way we will definitely get back with you. We will engage you. You can reach us at, I never use the office phone number. So our office number is 734-896-3770. Again, that's 734-896-3770. Well, let's get on to our episode. And this week, we'll be speaking to Adam about his experiences being incarcerated and getting out. So how long were you incarcerated? The last time I was incarcerated, because there's definitely a backstory to this, I've done about two years in the county. I did a two-year stint from the time I was 19 to 21. And then when I was 22, I robbed a bank. And don't get me wrong, I'm not minimizing what I did, I robbed a bank at gunpoint and I was sentenced to 27 to 50 years and two for the gun. So I served 27 years on that because when I was sentenced, we still had disciplinary credits. So I tell people all the time that it'll take until I'm 63 years old until I have half of my life in prison and half of it out, which is a pretty stark reality for some people. So But I was released in January 8th of 2020, and I got off parole January 10th of 2022. It was the first time that I was off supervision or being incarcerated since 1985. And how has it been? It's been amazing. Of course, it's been, you know, things are never one thing. So it's, it's been amazing. It's been challenging. Remember, if anybody remembers... January 8th of 2020, this was pre-COVID, by two months. So I got out, I got an opportunity to kind of get acclimated a little bit, learn a little bit of technology, had just started really 
looking for work and found a job doing canvassing for the Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act. That week, I actually, by day three, I was actually promoted to field supervisor. By day four, I was in front of the Secretary of State when they shut it down for COVID. By day five, I was on Michigan State's campus when they closed it down due to COVID. And that Sunday, I got a call from the company saying they'd closed down because there was going to be no more canvassing during COVID. So like, my, like everybody else, I had to pivot, but I think that I was a little bit more prepared for it than most people because I've heard people compare, you know, COVID and the lockdowns and stuff to somehow being in prison. I promise you they are not similar. Uh, well, I promise you they're not the same. There might be some similarities, but every time I walked by my refrigerator, every time I, you know, because in, in prison, your refrigerator is your toilet. You literally keep like milk in your toilet to keep it cold. And, um, I didn't have to do any of that out here. I actually had a refrigerator. So um, it's been pretty, it's been pretty amazing. And I learned a lot and I showed up in a lot of places that I probably wouldn't have without COVID. I did podcasts in Australia and New Zealand and the United Kingdom. We did a presentation with Brazilian people in criminology. And it's it's been a pretty interesting run. It sounds journey. like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's been amazing. So you've been out. Do you know, do you keep track of how long you've been out? No. Um, it's kind of funny, too, because there's certain things that you think you'll do that you won't. And I remember saying um, when I got off parole, I was going to, like, just cross the border because I could. I still haven't. I still haven't led, left Michigan. I think that's one of the things about Michigan is, is we can talk smack about it. We can talk about um, the criminal justice system or the criminal punishment system or whatever the case may be. But this is amazing. I mean, uh, you can pretty much experience just about anything that you want to other than a desert in the state of Michigan. I mean, you go up to the UP, it's like a different, you know, country uh, in some ways. So I haven't had to leave yet. I'm, I'm don't know if I will anytime soon, other than um, I'm doing the uh, 2022 uh, Just Leadership Leading with Conviction cohort. And I think we're doing our graduation in Alabama. So that might actually be the first time I leave the state. So walk me through getting out. I love this story of you getting out. I really do. Like, what time did you get up? I had an interesting, because uh, you always think, you know, some people can't sleep, you know, things like that. I could sleep. I went, I went to sleep around my normal time, but when I woke up earlier, um, and when I woke up, um, there was no going back to sleep because it was that day and I knew it was coming and it actually became, you know, reality after 27 years. My fiance at the time, my wife now, was coming to pick me up. So I was excited about that too. It was just, there's a lot of anticipation, but there's also a, a surreal component to it. When you're carrying your stuff out those gates and they're letting you go and you're not handcuffed and your feet aren't shackled. So you take these really short, choppy steps. And I came out and she was there. This is kind of funny. I came out, she was there and there was like four other people. And I think they were waiting for their family to be released. And so I immediately started crying and I grabbed a hold of my fiance. And 10 seconds later, she had to use the bathroom. So here I am still 
snotty-nosed and everything else with all these strangers, you know, who are like, what's going on here? So I literally gave this kind of impromptu speech to them about how important <laughs> this was and to never let their, their loved one forget this moment because because these are the kind of things that if you if you lose them and you forget them it's easier you know to go back and then just to give you the cliff cliff notes version we stopped at burger king i got a couple of croissants i walked out to the street looked in both directions saw no fences it was it was you know took fresh air i mean it's not any different you know it was only a few hundred yards away but it was free air so it was a little bit different we drove home. I forgot that I get car sick and I ate two croissant sandwiches. So by the time I hit the city limits of Lansing, those croissant sandwiches had to exit my body. And they did. And I was kind of a little bit sick to my stomach all day long, but I didn't care. But when you say exit, there could be two exits. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't. It, it, it was number one. And this, it was not a number two. Um, but, but you told your fiance, you need to pull over. You need to pull over now. And, <laughs> and she was like, why? And I, you just need to pull over now. And she did. Uh, uh, um, and evacuation happened. Yes. Um, it did not taste as good the second time as it did the first <laughs> time, but nonetheless, it was still, um, and then that day I, I did things because I'd already had things. I wanted to hit the ground running as many ways as I could. So. We spent four and a half hours at the Secretary of State. We got bounced around a little bit at Social Security because I had an issue with that because when I was 17, I filled out a job application and didn't fully know my Social Security number. So I've had one number wrong. As much trouble as I've been in over, over my life, they labeled that as an alias Social Security. So it took me three days to get my Social Security card. But those, that was the gist of it. And then you know, kind of just a reality check, too, because we're doing something like this for people to understand and to kind of humanize the situation is is there was also an element of the next day we did my grandmother's wake because my grandmother passed six days before I came home and my grandmother was my champion. So there was, you know, double edged sword. It was you know, I was so grateful to be able to be there and some healing took place with my family too, with my being able to be there, which would have been completely different. So I'm grateful and I'm, and I'm, and I'm grateful for, I know what my grandma did. My grandma didn't, my grandma knew I was coming home Yeah. and she was happy about that. And I think in her own way, she kind of walked off into the woods so that I didn't have to worry about her anymore because she knew that I'd have just been by her side every day. So she freed me up to your thing to be the executive director of a brighter way speaking of which will you find will you tell us about how to find how you found job a job well i mean again at covid era things became a little bit easier i didn't have to get to as many things so i didn't have to worry about transportation issues i didn't have to worry about whether or not something was on a bus line which a lot of people have to worry about uh, now. They're really limited in what they can find because transportation is a real thing. And even if they have loved ones that are willing to help them with that, it's a burden that is placed on them that they don't even think about. And you don't want to place any more burdens than is absolutely necessary on people. So everybody was figuring this out with me. 
So all of a sudden the Zoom era of the, the virtual interviews and stuff started going, which was good because it allowed me to do, to do a lot of interviews. And I used to joke all the time that I was batting a thousand in interviews. I did 30 interviews and every one of them offered me a job. And every one of them rescinded it once they ran it up the flagpole, despite the fact that I had been honest and forthright about my incarceration and how long I was incarcerated and what I did with my time and things like that. And I found that in a lot of these cases, they thought that it was a policy that you couldn't hire somebody until a certain time. And when you asked them to produce the policy, it wasn't a policy. It was just a practice. And that's what a lot of these stigmas are. They're not actually policies. They are just practices and norms and the culture of some organizations. And it's ridiculous when you think about it, when they say, well, we can't hire you now. Come back in a year or come back in a year and a half. When the person is the most vulnerable, needs the opportunity to do something, to be productive and to have hope and faith that things are going to be okay, you are telling them, come back after things are okay. We're not going to play a part in it. And, you know, that's troublesome. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, I got involved in being a little bit more active and a little bit more vocal and sharing my story because everybody can't. There's a trauma associated with this. When you share your story, you relive things. And anybody who's told stories of traumatic events in their own life understand that. Prison reform, criminal justice reform, people forget that that very much what people are sharing is traumatic. And so often people are asking us to do it for free and everything else. And then we have to go home at night and process this. Thankfully, I had 27 years in the last 17 years of it. I took a very conscious approach to this. So I come out as together as you possibly can be. But every once in a while, I still brush up against things. You know, they're, you know, traumatic and I have to reprocess. I just, I hate and I love that part of that you did these 30 interviews, right? And Mm -hmm. then every single one of them rescinded. Right. That's fact. That's what's going on. It is. And quite frankly, the jobs that I did get was because I was able to get into the get in front of the people who actually got to make the decisions. Because I got hired Parkside Family Counseling in Adrian. Yes, I was living in Lansing. And so thankfully I was do, able to do almost all of that virtually. But I got in front of the owner, the CEO, and she took a chance on me. I was able to get hired at Home of New Vision in the Jackson office, being the Jackson Area Recovery Community Coordinator, which is a supervisory position. And because I was able to get in front of the CEO and the CEO said, do you know that you are a miracle? And when she said that, you know, it kind of changed my life and changed my trajectory for a minute, because I think all anybody ever wants in their life, whether you're returning from prison or not, is my favorite definition of intimacy is to know and to be known. And Glennis saw me that day. It wasn't just somebody who did 27 years. It was somebody who did something with those 27 years. What was the name again? Can we send a thank you? Glennis Anderson. She knows I love her. CEO of Home and New Vision. And how did you find yourself to a brighter way? The funny part about that is I didn't. A brighter way found its way to me. And I think that's 
First off, I think it was a brilliant name. It's a brilliant concept because to me, when I think of a brighter way, there can only be a brighter way when more people are lending their light to it. And so we all come together as this community. If we're all holding this one little tea light, you know, and we're standing in the darkness, it casts a little bit of a light, but you only see part of a person's features. When everybody comes together and they all bring their tea light, you know, all of a sudden that light becomes stronger and you start to see more of everybody else's features and more understanding of it. So it's interesting that a brighter way found its way to me and then I get a chance to kind of, you know, lend my light to it as well. And when I say it found its way to me is, is that I was working as the Jackson Area Recovery Community Coordinator in Jackson, Michigan, but I had been working with Nation Outside and attending a lot of these events and just like my philosophy is just showing up when there's when there's a need I try and show up I believe that my purpose in the world is to be a beneficial presence which is pretty simple I just have to show up and then I have to be beneficial while I'm there which isn't really that complicated it takes some time it takes some energy I've put 63,000 miles on my car in the two and a half years that I've been out but it also created this opportunity it got me noticed you know, by the, by the people at a brighter way. And so when an opening came for their executive director, somebody contacted my supervisor, you know, and asked, what do you think about Adam? What do you think his leadership capabilities are? Do you think he, you know, and he said, that's who he is. I sat down with our board president, Al Newman. We had a long breakfast, had discussions there. I met with the entire board. And I just believed that this was going to happen because this is this is the kind of stuff that when I was in and when I was working on myself, I envisioned is the opportunity to build something, to build a team, to make a difference, to build a community. That's what we were doing in there with a lot of the programs. And the difference is, is it's there's more associated with it out here. So they basically found their way to me and I'm grateful. What resources did you find? helpful personally i'm not exactly sure how to answer that let me let me start with the antithesis of that i did not find any of the resources that i'd accumulated in the michigan department of corrections very useful there's a lot of stuff that floats around in there that is not only antiquated and some of it's flat out lies i just i just got a letter that was sent to avalon housing from a guy who's incarcerated but Part of his plan was based on this fallacy that because he's been incarcerated, the United States of America recognizes that he's somehow damaged and is entitled to Social Security and he's going to get this big back check and everything else. And this has been floating around for years and it doesn't matter how many times it gets debunked. People continue to make copies and, and, and distribute it and, and some it even sits in, sits in some law libraries. And then it, made, it was made even worse by the fact that a lot of things kind of went belly up during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the ways things were done changed. There's no paper applications anywhere for a job and there's no computers in prison. So the two of those things do not jive. Um, you come out and you're asked to do all these things and everyone's on a different format. And not to mention, there are so many scams out there too. So right. as soon as you start getting licked on LinkedIn, ZipRecruiter and everything else, all of a sudden everybody else is like, ooh, fresh meat. And then they start sending stuff at you that you don't know if it's legitimate, if it's about a job, it's a, if it's about 
whatever. I mean, there there are just so many things. The resources that are given and the and the and the tools that are given to people coming home are very minimal and they're often antiquated. And that's one of the things that we want to change too, even though our main thing is is reentry. You know, I'm a firm believer that this is where it starts because we've got a resource coming. If you know the resource is water, you know, there's a spigot, there's a hose, where is the water coming out? It's at the end of the hose. Reentry is the end of the hose. So once we start working on this, we can develop the resources and then we can figure out how to get back and start to cut down some of that supplies, maybe disconnect the hose. But right now this is where we're at. And so we're trying to reach back in. We're trying to create a better set of resources, at least in Washtenaw County. Again, reentry through relationship. So we have somebody to help you navigate these things that is going to be able to put some time into it, some effort and genuinely care The DOC is too big to do those things. It's too slow. It's like turning the Titanic. It takes... DOC is Department of Corrections. Michigan, yeah, Michigan Department of Corrections. And and, and I'm not not bad-mouthing them. I understand their limitations. But I think one of their biggest limitations is, is they often don't know their own limitations. You know, I think ignorance is not a problem. Willful ignorance is. You know, we're all ignorant to something. And if we can acknowledge it, I'm ignorant to a lot. You saw me trying to figure out all this equipment in here. I'm figuring it out. But that's you can't figure it out until you acknowledge that you're ignorant to begin with. I don't know. Ignorant and stupid aren't the same thing. I just don't know. But the problem is, is they sometimes are willfully so and don't want to listen to the people. You know, the saying is those closest to the problem or closest to the solution and often furthest from the resources. And that's true. What do you think they're doing right, the Department of Corrections? I think, let me give props where props are due. I think they're making an effort now. I, I genuinely do. And I do believe that there are people in the administration on different levels that, that understand this and are at least taking a look at it. I still don't think that they have enough people with lived experience in genuine decision makings. They'll pick our brains um, on occasion, but I don't see people with lived experiences running some of these departments or, you know, being the heads of some of the steering committees and things like that, which I think is a problem. I mean, you've got people, the state is very much almost like colleges in some ways where you become tenured and you're protected. And I understand it when it comes to schools so that you can be free to develop things and stuff like that. But in the state, it becomes a problem because you're like next in line to get promoted. And so I heard it said, and it's not just about the DOC. I've heard it said about big entities anyway, that you get promoted to the point of incompetence. In the Department of Corrections or the state as a whole, often you get promoted to a department that you have no expertise in. So like a perfect example is, is like if you have if you have something that has to do with Department of Corrections and it has to do with reentry, there might be somebody who is high up in the secretary of state or state police that's kind of next to get one of those positions. What does a state police officer know about reentry? You know, what does a secretary of state administrator know about mentoring? You know, things like that. They might know about mentoring on a business level, but it's a little bit different. You don't have the same trauma involved with business that you have with reentry. What I think they're doing right is I think that they're at least willing to start looking at those things. 
I just wish the politics would be removed from it. When I say the politics, because I think politics is like prestidigitation. Politics is unfortunately about the appearances of doing something more than it is about actually doing something. And that's a problem when you're talking about people's lives. And I would say one last note on that is people in general should be upset with this. We talk about spending money in these budgets. This is an investment. $2.2 billion is spent on the Department of Corrections. We deserve a better return on our investment. What is the most surprising thing about life on the outside? (laughs) Most is one of those things that becomes difficult to quantify in some ways. I guess that it's if you keep putting in the work, eventually people will notice. And there is a kind of an avenue that this is a good time to have some warts. The world respects and appreciates lived experience a little bit more. I found it interesting when I told you I did the 30 for 30 on the interviews. I found it interesting that people wanted lived experience. And I used to joke that they just didn't want as much lived experience (laughs) as I had. But I think now I'm also in that realm where, like I said, they were wait, say, wait for a year, wait for a year and a half, wait for two years. Now they're all knocking on my door. So it's a matter of finding your way, you know, kind of in the interim. You shouldn't have to. And that's kind of what we're trying to develop at a brighter way is a model that is professional development, a model that you can get your foot in the door earlier, that you can learn the ins and outs of what it is to be in some of the helping professions and just to be a professional as a, as a whole. So I guess, I guess that would be the thing that I'm most surprised about is, is that there are opportunities. I had a recent realization with my own experiences and that was because I was like, I, I burned a candle at both ends. I, I, I do as much as I possibly can. I worked 12 hour days, seven days a week while I was in prison. Wow. Um, and I used to joke about that I'll, that I'll get a vacation when I go home because I'll only have to work 50 or 60. So I've, I'm, I'm used to doing things like that. That's not the norm in there because you don't usually get that opportunity, kind of opportunity. You need to make that opportunity. But the one thing that I found that's interesting out here is when I was in prison, it didn't matter what came to me. I never had more opportunities than I could handle because that's you, you don't have – there's two things that you really don't have in prison – on the same level that you do out here. And that's options and opportunities. Yeah. And so out here, I've had to learn. I'm, I haven't had to learn. I'm having to learn how to say no, how to not try to be everything for everybody and how to invest in the people who've already invested in me instead of investing in people who may invest in me. At some point in time, I mean, because I noticed that like family and friends were getting the short end of the stick recently because I'd agreed to do, you know, too many things. Right. And I'm still working through some of those obligations to get back to the point where I can do simple things like, you know, go to a nephew's baseball game or football game or, you know, just be there for my God kids and, you know, things you people take for granted. I, I, I told people all the time when I was doing classes in there, don't get caught up in becoming a workaholic because that isn't what you missed while you were in there. It's all your relationships and things like that. And I still 
got caught up in it. And especially when you're working in this field, because I think sometimes the thing that's difficult about it is, is we're asked to be superheroes right? in some ways. We have to be, we have to exemplify all that is possible because all it takes is one person doing something stupid with a criminal record and it gets pasted all over everything else. So we have to be a superhero. Well, even Superman got to be Clark Kent once in a while and and kick his feet up. And we don't ultimately, unless we find a way, you know, to do it. And this sounds like someone on the outside, an issue for them too. Like it sounds like a normal issue that people are having about how to balance, work-life balance. Sure. And I think prison is a microcosm of the rest of the world and the yeah. rest of a community. It, it, it has its own specific things because it's designed to, to be limiting, but it's not that different. It, it is the same kind of things. The difference is, is that unless you really consciously put in the work, you come out of that place, your growth has been stunted in some ways. Yeah. You have to choose to go deep in a place that doesn't respect that. You have to choose to get in touch with your feelings in a place that doesn't respect that and often preys on that. In order to do the growth that you need to do, you become a target sometimes for staff who think you're too big for your britches. I get that. I got I've, I got rode out of three different facilities. I got transferred from different facilities because I was doing too much positive. That's no exaggeration. <laughs> People could be listening to that right now and be like, oh, come on. There had to be something else behind it. No, it was pure paranoia. The fact that I had the influence I did, it didn't matter that I was using it for good, that I was teaching people tools that made them better communicators. And it also made them better citizens of the prisons that they were in. It didn't matter because the fact was I had influence and they were afraid that I would somehow wield it against them. That's paranoia. And so you don't get a lot of those tools in there. You don't interview for very many jobs. Some people do actually do interviews in there. You don't interview for jobs. There are so many wasted opportunities in the Michigan Department of Corrections right now that they, to me, it should look more like the real world in there than a parenting model. And so often it's a parenting model. You get grounded. It's called top lock or it's called LOP. That's what it is. It's grounding. They won't even say you have a job called an assignment. And I wonder it, why that is. Well, because I think a job sounds too much uh, adultish and it sounds like you, th- then they think they, sh- they should pay you more because I made good money by penitentiary standards. I made $1.77 a day. $1.77 a day. $1.77 a day. Seven days a, day. a week? No, because half, like two days out of the week, I couldn't get paid. There's no overtime in there. You're, That's you're, what I was wondering. Yeah, you so. get five days. Not the other two days, I donated my time because the work needed to be done because it was about programs and community building and things like that. And 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 so I don't even consider, that's not a wage. It, they can call it like a stipend to make it sound professional. But again, going to that faulty parenting model, what it is, is it's an allowance. Right. Sounds like it. And not even a good one. No, not. 15-year-old, you try and give him $1.77 a day? <laughs> oh, no, that ain't happening. He's calling CPS on you. What did you use that money for? A, a lot of different things. You have to you have to subsidize. Honey buns? 
Oh, I bought some honey buns in my day. I bought some Zoom Zooms and some Wham Whams and some thousands upon thousands of ramen noodles. But it it depends because you also have friends and family that'll help you out. And they started doing secure packs at the end of it where they could actually make an order for you once every three months. So my wages went to a lot of different things. I mean, early on, they went to all the things they shouldn't have went. I was still smoking cigarettes. I was still doing drugs. I was, you know, doing all of those things. In prison, you were doing drugs? Oh, yeah. I, I did. I did every bit as much drugs in prison as I did out of prison. That's still shocking to me. I won't get too, Don't get too deep. far off into the yeah. weeds on that one, but I don't understand how it is shocking to people. First off, it's it's supply and demand. So even the people who have the ability to put, to, you know, I mean, now it's even cigarettes. You can't even smoke cigarettes in there. Really? Yeah. You can't smoke cigarettes in there anymore. So. And you have patches, nicotine patches? Oh, no, no, no. Nicotine's a drug. People, they're afraid somebody be boiling that thing down and figuring out how uh-huh. to get high out of it or whatever. But a pack of cigarettes, I could bust down a pack of cigarettes, $7 pack of cigarettes, and probably make about 125 bucks. So supply and demand, that should not surprise people in the United States of America um, that, <laughs> that, that that people would find a way to be able to do those things. And you're talking about people who are also trying to hide from their feelings and everything else. So there's always going to oh, be people that want right. to want to use it. Yeah. Once yeah. you're an addict on the outside, you're an addict on the inside. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that I think the the mechanisms are still in place and the traumas are still in place. Whether it's whether it's people in reentry or people in recovery, I really shy away from non-person centered language. So even the concept of addict is like, to me, that's not what it is. It's kind of like we've become too label based in this society. And so when we say, you know, an addict, addicts will use that as an uh, uh, to let them off the hook for future behaviors too. Um, well, I'm just an addict. What do you expect from me? So I'm I'm careful about those things, and it's also it, it also becomes tricky because sometimes in these in these circles, you have people who feel they've earned the right. I can call myself a convict. I can call myself a felon. You're absolutely right. You can, but you also have, I think have a responsibility to the next generation of people. You know, because I'm not a convict. I used to wear I used to wear that badge so tough while I was in prison because a convict was not a resident. It was not a prisoner. It was not any of these other things that were kind of controlled in some ways. It was somebody who didn't tell on anybody who held their ground, all these things, all these masculine versions of what it is, you know, to be incarcerated. And I had a progression. I realized at one point in time, I realized that I had become a prisoner. I used to think that I was a prisoner because a prisoner is somebody who's held against their own will. For a while, I wasn't a prisoner either because I was held according to my will. Everything that I did showed that that was my will. But I'm none of those things now. I'm formally incarcerated. I wear that badge proudly now. Not proud of what I did to get incarcerated. Proud of what I did with my incarceration. You know, because that was a choice. Just like making the mistakes, you know, was a choice, a very uninformed choice. The more information I had the better choices I've made since. So let's talk about language because we do use different terms for those 
Can you talk about that a little bit? In a nutshell, you're always going to have debates around what's the proper vernacular to exactly. use things. And you've got some people who are like, you know, don't call us returned citizens because we don't have all our rights returned. And don't call me formally incarcerated. And, you know, and, and, and some people will say that you have to put the word person into each one of those to make sure that people understand the, the person. You, it has to be person-centered language and it has to be something that you're not just creating this one kind of monolith of a group of people. It's not just basic shorthand. I switch up the terms that I use on purpose to be conscious, to bring people's attention to it. And not only that, but I mean, if you're doing a press release, who wants every 15th word to be returned citizen? You know, I mean, you lose people. It becomes like white noise. So that's the key to it is it's person-centered. So you're just not talking about addicts. You're not talking about offenders. You're not talking about, you know, think about that for a minute. This is the way the department describes me. I'm off parole now. So do you know what my term is, according to them? I'm an ex-offender. That doesn't feel good. Have you ever crossed the street where there wasn't a crosswalk? Yeah, I have. Of course I have. All right. Well, you ex-jaywalker you. That's the same kind of logic. That's all I tell people. I'm not going to be, I'm not the language police. I'm not the one who's going to sit there and, and, and browbeat you and shake my finger at you. I'm the one who's going to try and use these opportunities to kind of talk about these things. And so anytime you're doing something, just think about person-centered language. So when I say, you know, formally incarcerated, sometimes I'll say formally incarcerated person just to emphasize that. So criminal justice impacted. Criminal justice impacted is a term that can be used directly or peripherally. Our family does a bit too, means they're doing time too in some way, shape or form. Sometimes we forget that when we're in, but the fact is, is that fence keeps us from getting to them and that fence keeps them from getting to us. Mm -hmm. The only difference is that their yard is bigger right. and the only thing they're guilty of is loving us, but they get a sentence too. So what would you tell someone that just got out? Come down and see us at a brighter way. Um, other than that, I would say um, there is a brighter way. You know, as cliche as that may sound, um, there is. There are people that are out there willing to help wherever you are at. If you can't find work, volunteer. Mm -hmm. A lot of those people who are doing that stuff... One of my saving graces when the world started shutting down was I actually t attended a grassroots philosophy group in Lansing. I found it on a community calendar and I enjoyed philosophy. It was one of my favorite things when I started taking college classes through the mail. And we actually, I, I taught an ethics class in prison. So I, I, I love these philosophical conversations. And I got to go down and talk to these people who were like engineers. I mean, these people who are like, you know, pretty far up there in a lot of different ways and extremely intelligent. And a lot of these college students and stuff. And I came in there and I you know, participated in the conversations and they were really um, appreciative of my take. And then I shared my experience of where I'd come from and they were just slack jawed. They didn't know how does this happen? You, you did how many years? You know, it was like I should have had a third eye growing out of my forehead or something like that. And I didn't. I was just another person. And I think that's what you have to remember is you are. And part of the reason why I felt like I should have had a third eye, you know, growing out of my forehead had nothing to do with other people's perceptions of me. 
It was the internal stigma of how I thought everybody else, you know, was looking at me. Like my nose doesn't work. My nose hasn't worked for about 16 years. That's not true. When I caught COVID, I could actually smell, which is kind of funny. My wife couldn't and I could, which was a weird thing. But it's that, it's that idea that when I first started losing my sense of smell, I always thought I was stinking or something like that. So I was always washing a little bit more or reapplying deodorant or something because I didn't know. So I'm thinking that that's how the whole world is perceiving me. That I'm So, and I think that's what happens a lot of times. The, the world doesn't know. They'll know what you're willing to share with them. And you don't necessarily have a responsibility to share that with them. But you also don't have a responsibility to hide it. You know, I've heard it said that you're only as healthy as your secrets. And if people are wasting a lot of time and energy about the things that they think they shouldn't share with somebody, you know, it's like a blackhead waiting to erupt. You know, wash your face. (laughs) You know, wash your face. Tell somebody. That's a meme, I think. Wash your face. Ooh, that's a frightening meme. I don't know. I don't know if I want to see that. I think it's a meme. Okay, I might have to look it up. Well, that's all the questions that I have for you. So now it's time to learn a little bit about me. And Adam gets to ask these questions. Uh Uh-oh. Turning on the interrogation light right now. That makes me feel comfortable. That'll give you a little bit more understanding (laughs) what it is to be formally incarcerated. Just, we're going to take you all the way to the beginning. Oh, we we could talk about prison. So I lost a bet to Adam. And the prize was Mountain Dew. Yes. And the next time I saw him, I did not have this Mountain Dew for him. And he said, we're on prison terms now. And I owe him two because I did not bring in that one Mountain Dew. It was draw day and she didn't come to pay her debt. So it doubled up. That's that's the way it works. If you don't know, you don't know. That's how they get you. All right. First question. What made you decide to get involved in a Brighter Ways community and to work with us? My work was highlighting you guys in January, A Brighter Way. So we do highlights of charities in the neighborhood of ours. And I thought you guys were really interesting. I checked you out. And I really wanted to do something outside of work, too. And I wanted to do something that meant something. And then I kind of fell headfirst into it. (laughs) Yeah, she was all in when she saw the ear hustle shirt. Oh, that's that's hence right. the podcast too. That's it. so. If anybody uh, out there is has not heard of Air Hustle, please check them out. They're amazing. Yes. Which leads to the next question. You know, how did you get the idea of a podcast for this? Air Hustle. So I thought there was a couple reasons. One, I fell head first, and it's like, what what more could I do? And I thought bringing stories on a podcast level would really kind of bring the humanity to a forefront. And this is kind of off the cuff. I know that you've been really involved since you did come and start working with us. Uh, You're doing the volunteer, volunteer coordinator (laughs) position, which shows that she's certifiable um, because that's like herding cats half the time. But, you know, we've had enough discussions and I know that the podcast is a part of, you know, your vision and the idea of, you know, stigma reduction and getting the, the idea out there and humanizing um, people because that's what it is. It's ultimately human beings in this situation, no no matter how far we get from our humanity sometimes. So I want to ask you what your kind of vision for a brighter way and your role within it. 
That's a great question. I think I can see herding cats being the volunteer coordinator. I can see that. I can see going to events and helping planning those and really bringing that alive, the volunteers alive, as in showcasing what they are, what they think their strong suit is. You know, if they have podcast experience, if they have advocacy experience, bringing those and helping them, you know, meet their needs. I really would love to do that. So I want to know, since you have come and become involved in a brighter way, because this is why we chose the the the, the title for this. Um, it would be easy to say conversations with a brighter way because that's the way a lot of things are labeled, but that's not who we are and that's not what we do. These are things about conversations about a brighter way. And this is because the more that we converse about them, the more that we have these discussions, the more we evolve, the brighter things get, the more light we cast on things. So I'm going to ask you that question. I'm going to ask you, what have you learned or how have you been changed since you have started working with us? Because I know that like you were talking about language and things like that, you've been open, but what do you think, what do you think has been the biggest change in you since you started working with a brighter way? Well, I think this goes to all volunteers and how it affects your innards. Knowing that I have a place and helping individuals get to their place is kind of what's great. So I've been impacted by especially the language about thinking things differently, about not saying convict, not saying prisoner, because those are huge words. So I use formerly incarcerated. My mom just actually yelled at me. She's like, can you just say something different instead of that. I'm like, no, mom, this is what I need to do. So that I have definitely changed. I have changed because I love volunteering and I love helping people. And so there's the innards, like brighter. I do feel brighter because I am helping. And it does mean something to me that when I get a volunteer that will say, yes, I am the perfect person for this. I'm all in. Okay, that's something I never thought I would hear is about someone's brighter innards. <laughs> right. I thank you for bringing this idea to us and kind of, you know, pushing me a little bit to make some of these happen. You can stop giving me homework now. Oops. And I look forward to the other guests that we will have on here too. Season one is called Welcome Home for a Reason. Everybody that we'll be interviewing will have been home in the last couple years, some of them within the last couple months. They will have served various amounts of time, but they're all a part of our community. And when I say our community, I mean not just a brighter way, but Ipsy, oh, uh, you know, Ann Arbor, uh, Washtenaw County, the state of Michigan. You extend those concentric circles out. There is no somewhere else. I think that's the point behind this. With as many people as there are that have, you know, convictions um, in the state of Michigan and the United States of America, there are more people around you than you realize that have been formerly incarcerated, that have felony convictions and things like that. We're just people. Some of us have really turned our life around in such a way that I would dare say that we're exceptional people. 
not only because of what we've overcome, but because we have something within us that tells us that we still owe something to our society and community. The world out here talks a lot about rights. A lot of people who are formerly incarcerated come home and realize their responsibilities. Those come with the rights. And so I think that's important, you know, for people to know. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Conversations About a Brighter Way. Welcome home. We would like to say thank you to the following. This podcast could not have been possible without Grove Studio providing the space. So Grove Studios is in Ypsilanti, Michigan, provides 24-7 self-service, rehearsal, and creative studios for musicians, hip-hop producers, DJs, podcasters, photo, video, and live streaming production. Creatives from around Southeast Michigan have called Grove home since 2018. For more information and booking, check them out online at grovestudios.space. We'd like to thank Patrick Domingo with podcast creation and editing. The beautiful music you hear in the intro and thank yous was written and performed by Chelsea-based singer, songwriter Annie Caps. If you're looking for a rootsy vibe, a touch of twang, and a soulful groove, look no further. You can find her at anniecaps.com. That's A-N-N-I-E-C-A-P-P-S dot com. We'd like to thank our individual donors. Without them, there could not be a brighter way. Therefore, there could not be a conversation about a brighter way. We're very grateful for their constant support and the way they speak to the stigma that exists in the community on a daily basis. We'd like to thank United Way of Washtenaw County, Ann Arbor Area Community Foundation, Nation Outside, and to our volunteers, mentors, and mentees. A Brighter Way is a community, and we could not be a community without all of its participants. So we thank all of you. Thank you very much. Wait, subscribe and follow us on social media so you don't miss out on a single episode. And visit the website of brighterway.org for donation opportunities. We plan to give you more conversations in season one. And if you want to reach out to ask questions or send comments, you can email volunteering at a brighter This is Robin. And this is Adam. Peace out. Peace out.